Before we get into today's episode, we'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record and pay our respects to their elders, past and present. This episode was recorded on Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung land. Welcome to Interior Couture. We're here to bring the same excitement over interior design that friends share when discussing the latest in fashion. So grab a glass and join us for another episode of Interior Couture, where design comes home. Welcome back to another episode of Interior Couture. I'm Claire from Amila Studio. And I'm Ash from Tove Interiors. We have a jam-packed episode for you this week. We will, of course, take you through the design pulse as always, where we go through our three current top stories and events from the design world. And then we'll be taking you through past, present, future. And this week in our past, present, future segment, we are looking at industrial design. But before we get there, Ash, do you have a recommendation for us? I don't have a recommendation. Okay, great. We're off to a good start. We have a jam-packed episode, first segment. I don't have anything for you. <laughs> no, I, the reason I don't have a recommendation is because I found out this fun fact the other week. Yes. I have to share great. with the world. Give it to us. Ben and I had a little staycation the other day. Believe it or not, we stayed at the Chadston Hotel. Oh, cool. I yeah. chose some shopping Which center. was actually yeah. really cool. Yeah, It's quite new, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. It's only a couple of years old. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah, nice. Like, had a grand old time. Fab. And I am one of those people when I stay in a hotel, within 30 seconds I'm in a robe with the TV on. I don't know what it is Me about too. hotel TV. And the slippers. Like, if they yes. have a robe and slippers, I'm, I'm here for it. Yes. Yeah. A couple of days, we just spent a couple of days in Brisbane and sunrise was on every morning because I just love... <laughs> I don't know what it is. Anyway, they had Chadston TV, which was the history of how Chadston was built, which sucked wow, me in. Wow, that's cool. It was really, really interesting and it kind of talked about the evolution of how it started and how it got to where it was today. And there was this little piece of information in there which I found absolutely wild. So when Chadston did part of its big extension, its first big extension, they obviously needed to introduce more car parks. Mm -hmm. And this, in doing so, they were the first shopping centre and place in the world to design diagonal car parks. You know, those car parks make it so much easier to pull in. Yeah. I always thought it was space saving and I always kind of wondered, yeah, I thought, oh, somehow this must be to save space. Yeah. No, no. The group of men engineers designed it that way because they didn't trust women could park and they felt that this would be an easier way for them to park their car. (laughs) That is like so terrible on one hand, but also equally as convenient because it surely is heaps easier to park but not just for women right I was like I'm not mad about diagonal parking I love diagonal parking but the fact that that group of men sitting down being like yes women will cry they haven't crashed their cars in the normal car parks that we've got (laughs) but they will in this new one so we're gonna make diagonal diagonal parks so that is my fun fact recommendation is watch the Chadston History Channel there you go it's full of some absolute nuggets (laughs) That's a great place to start. Thanks for that. I love it. What is your recommendation? My recommendation this week is a movie. Ooh. Because during the week, I watched Disney's 2021 Cruella. 
I love that movie. Have you seen it? Yes. With Emma Stone. Big fan. I'm a big fan. Oh, my goodness. I loved it. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, in the last week, it's come up in my Instagram. Right. I've been targeted. Mm. And I thought it was new. And I thought it was like, oh, oh, never. Like it hadn't been released yet. It was coming out in the movies. And then when I looked into it, because I was vibing, I was like, this is for me. This yeah. looks great. And then when I looked it up, Released 2021. Yeah. And Emma Stone, I love her. Yeah. So I don't understand why I haven't seen it. I've it obviously is. been hiding under a rock. And I just loved it. So it's based in the 60s and it showcases how Cruella, as in Cruella Deville from 101 Dimensions, it's her story mm. and it really paints her in a beautiful light. It She's does. not quite the the devil that we all grew up with. She becomes more relatable because yeah. you hear so much or you experience so much of her history growing up and you're like, oh, well, if that had happened to me, yeah, I'd I would have been like crazy that. too. Absolutely. And the fashion, because she's a fashion designer in it. Fashion is just incredible. It is such a fabulous movie. There are so many great layers to it. I loved it and now I think I'm hooked on watching Disney movies. Oh, I you know what I'm gonna go home and watch it? Do it. Yeah. It's so great. I loved it. it So that's my recommendation this week. Well, now we're going to get stuck into the Design Pulse. So this week we're bringing you our top three current stories and events from the design world and we're going to kick things off because on Thursday the 31st, Dulux released their colour forecast of 2024. So let's take a look. What do you reckon? Can I just say? Yes. We were so right. Last week we made a prediction that the colour tones would replicate the 70s. Yes. Really strong and, yeah, I guess do a take on it. Those rusty yellows, mustards, yep. It was predominantly what I saw. Yeah. So they split it up into three emotive colour color palettes and one of them is very prominent with those 70s vibes so if you don't know what we're talking about Dulux color forecast this is their 25th year of releasing a color forecast for the next year great marketing it really is because obviously it's just pushing all their new colors but they go into a lot of detail to forecast it so on the Dulux website their descriptor is the Dulux color forecast is based on year-round research into the latest global and local trends that are depicted to influence Australian design and how we live. Oh, I just love the concept. I love the names they come up with. I love the stories that they tell. It's great. And I do feel specifically in the past five years, they've been pushing the limits on how they pair colouring together. There was a specific, I think it was from the Evoke range, where they had kind of paired this lightning blue like this really really rich blue up against like a reddy brown wall and I feel like they are each year becoming more and more couture like I don't want to use that word in like a corny way but very like conceptual and the way that they express how their colors could be used Mm. is definitely pushing the envelope and I do really love that part of it yeah I agree and I can't help but think that element of it in my opinion, this is not backed by any facts other than what I've seen within the Dulux brand and realm over my period within the industry is the sheer fact that Dulux once upon a time was marketed to painters, mm-hmm. to a trade, yeah, everyday painter who would go to the paint shop and need to select the paint for their clients. They have shifted massively. That is not who they market to anymore. They market to creatives, home renovators, even painters and artists, anyone who needs to be used 
using and embracing color that is who they market to now and you can see that in their color forecasts I didn't go back the full 24 years but you can see they're just getting more like yeah they're just exploring more this year they've said that it's very much leaning into a maximalist color palette which they've come up with three color palettes which will go into detail yeah yeah we'll go into all three so there's the solstice color palette journey and muse the overarching description of this year's color palette trends reflect an inner desire for positivity and spaces that nurture us within our homes the new trends feature warm colors with yellow influences pink influenced clay hues and ready browns olive greens and accents to pale blues and zesty yellows i mean really it's just every color under the sun they've got represented there yeah, look, each time they do something like this, they're really just not boxing themselves no, in. No, they're really not. They're elaborating through multiple different colours. Yeah, so they come up with these three. They call them emotive palettes because not only are the colours paired together, but they put these beautiful descriptors around them so that you can kind of feel as if you're mm. cocooned within mm. these colours. And they essentially do like a light colour palette, medium and bold. That's really how they group them all together. So do you want to run us through your thoughts and feelings on the first one, which is Solstice? Yes. I really liked Solstice. My favourite colour from this whole forecast actually came from this round. Which which is it? I hate the name, but love the colour. The name is Reddy Brown. Okay. (laughs) It is so... Everyone can picture that. It's Everyone like, knows exactly what colour yes, that is. And it's like you ask a four-year-old, what's your favourite colour? That's what I would expect. I don't know, reddy brown. Yeah. Like it just doesn't sound very elevated. It's However, not at all. And out of all of them, that's probably the least elevated of the name. But I just felt like the re- it's really difficult to do that tone well in a mm. way that doesn't trigger, I guess, that... Uh, maroon look that people don't yeah. really love or too far the other way and or it's too, just a bit dirty yeah I feel like they've got this really beautiful middle ground it's got a really classy richness to it mm. like I look at the example that they've put in um, a bedroom they've kind of got this curved wall and again it's against this kind of electric blue and I just love the depth to it and it doesn't feel overwhelming they've mm. paired it with a travertine floor white kind of ceiling and really minimalist bedding Mm. and it doesn't feel like that kind of tacky feature wall that you see so often and I really really appreciated that um and overall I think that this range kind of sits somewhere between like your Japandi and 70s I I really think it's a middle ground it really is and that's the descriptor a similar descriptor to what they give it so solstice they say starts with inspiration from pared back Scandinavian design style but adds to this a Mediterranean and desert influence from the Australian outback to the African savannah the palette brings together warm colors with cool accents and details such as as braided and primitive sculptural forms. I mean, I just love a good descriptor. I find it interesting that Dulux is an Australian brand that, yes, there is there is one mention throughout all the descriptors, there's one mention of the Australian outback, but then primarily it flicks to the African savannah. Mm-hmm. And I find that interesting. I 
feel as if there's almost like an element missing by not leaning more into the Australian yeah. outback and that rich desert feel because that is very much what the colours are. What I've written down here as a descriptor is to me, to my eyes, every colour within this palette is a dusty pastel colour. Yeah. Just has this dusty element to it. None of them are crisp and clean to my eyes. They just have this dusty element, which I mean, I didn't draw two and two prior to right now, but makes sense talking about the outback and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I think they've done well. I wanted to just give you my favourite colour of this one, which favourite colour, yes, but also I really liked the name, is Pottery's Pink. I just love that one. Of course, yours is much nicer than mine. (laughs) Red and brown. And it was really pink. (laughs) (laughs) And it, again, is a pottery pink. Like it's got those clay elements to it. So, yeah, loved Solstice. And I, every year, always like their first one the most because it's their most pairback. It is their most pairback. Before it goes more bold. All right, let's unpack Journey. Now, Journey, to give you kind of their opening, I guess, line what it kind of talks about um it unpacks travel cultural differences bohemian charm and the art of craft influenced the journey the journey palette of lavish mid-tone colors for a maximalist and eclectic feel in our homes Mm. something that i really appreciated about journey is somewhere in the article they talk about the fact that they are pulling from other cultures based on travel Mm. and I, I think the reason I appreciated that so much was because we have just talked about Japandi mm. and that is when um, I guess travel influenced uh, crossbreeding of styles mm. and so I do appreciate when we still today go out and learn from other cultures and see what other cultures are doing yeah. and kind of bring that back to where we are and I really appreciated that as it's I guess value base that's driving this range. Yes, knowing that this colour forecast, they do forecast it for a whole year. They literally do a whole year of research. I've actually spoken with Andrea, who is the head colour forecaster for Dulux. She gets to travel around the world to figure out all of these colours and the names and how it's all going to be pulled together. But when you consider it, she did. I know she didn't go to Milan Design Week last year. She did go this week. So it's quite possible I'm just making an assumption that it's probably quite heavily influenced by travel because this year they're allowed to travel Mm. again for this research for this year-long research for the forecast they were actually allowed to go out there and find those outside influences I also really loved how they've written that it's Mm. a maximalist and pattern heavy palette Mm. of course they don't actually release patterns or anything like that but they just release colours but you can see how beautifully all of these colours do mesh together that if you were to pattern these and combine these colours next to each other they're just so complementary and it is stepping into that maximalism field more so than the dusty um, pastels that we'd seen in solstice. Yeah I think where they do so well with this is sometimes if you do lean towards being more of a maximalist it can be daunting if you don't know quite how to execute it Mm. and so by creating this middle ground color palette you're right every color pairs really well with every color Mm. in the range so you can almost be pretty confident that you go all right well if I keep within this specific palette of I think there's 12 Mm -hmm. or so colors that they're going to pair really well with one another and so it does help that decision making 
process, which we always love. Yeah, they're making it easy for people. And although they're leaning into that maximalist, they're like tiptoeing in there. The colours still aren't bright. Mm -mm. They've still got this kind of, to me, they're still a bit muted. Yeah, Yeah. they've still got that undertone. So out of all of them, my fave was Bruised Burgundy. Oh, that's so interesting. That was one of my front runners. Yes. But I ended up leaning onto Bean Counter. Bean Counter. And of course it's a green. The girl loves green. I do love a good green and it just feels like an unoffensive green there are definitely some offensive greens in the world and this is unoffensive very unoffensive and as is the name okay next up we're on to muse muse is heavily influenced by this nostalgia of the postmodern era with a particular emphasis on the 70s this is as per ash's prediction from last week when we covered off the 1970s era so the muse palette is a celebration of free-spirited style of the past with bold rich tan and rusty colors what this, are your thoughts? This is the range I respected the most. Yeah? This is the one where I feel like they are opening or like pushing the envelope with how they're pairing their colours together. Yeah, because this is one that's not going to appeal to everyone. The others, I no. think, they are still bold. They're more bold than they've gone in the past, but people can still appreciate them. Yeah. This one, they're like pushing the envelope. They're having a bit of fun. They're having a little bit of fun. Yeah. I found it really interesting that although this colour palette references the 70s yes. and the way in which they've styled some of the images, they've got like the puff lamps and all of that, it mm. really does reference the 70s. But as I moved down into kind of the images of three, four and five, I actually think Tuscany, mm-hmm. which is so far from what these colours are, Yeah, but I think Tuscany was one of the first places that did bold architraves against bold colours on the Mm. wall and that's what they're really pushing in this range. And I really liked that because that tends to be the area of a home people pull back on is Mm. architraves. And in Melbourne specifically when we have all these stunning ornate architraves that you could really create a feature out of – why do we just paint them natural white? Yeah. Like why do we let them hide in the background? Yeah, so true. And so I really appreciated that that's where they focused a lot of their imagery on. Mm, yeah. The imagery is beautiful throughout all of these colour palettes and they essentially style – I don't know if they are actual homes or if they're sets, but they style them beautifully so that every style piece, every wall is all in a different colour or within the palette that all melds together. It is a really beautiful representation of how these palettes would go together. And the Muse is, in my eyes, it's a new take on a traditional 70s look. In this colour palette, my favourite colour was Fluorescent Fire. I loved that one. Mine was Passionate Blue. Oh, that's a good one. I really loved the Passionate Blue. Well, I think that rounds out our Dulux Colour Forecast of 2024. Next, we've got this bold and technicolor Florida home is a maximalist dream. That's from Vogue Living. Oh, I cannot tell you enough how much I loved this project. Yeah, it's a beautiful project, great article, stunning imagery. Yeah, to give you a little bit of, um, it's not eye candy, but to give you a little bit of a visual. Oh, it kind of is. Like it's, me, yeah. It's Zoe Foster Blake's home, paired back about seven notches and yeah. executed brilliantly. 
so brilliantly to the point I would hate to think the dollars and cents that they spent on this. So this is a Florida home that has been built in close collaboration with the designer Ellen Hamilton of the Hamilton Design Association, working closely alongside Platt Dana Architects. And the owners of this home have worked with Ellen Hamilton on many projects, they said in the past. So Ellen Hamilton already knew their Mm. style, already knew where they were coming from. So got a lot of freedom in Mm. creating uh, these designs spaces and this home is absolutely huge oh my goodness it's it is massive it's ridiculous can i read you their description of the space there's the 2600 square foot main house i don't know what square foot is in meters squared i probably should have converted that anyway huge it's big it's real big so there's the 2,600 square foot main house featuring the three bedrooms, three and a half bathrooms and eight living spaces. A 1,250 square metre carriage house, which I've never heard that before. It's the English term for guest house. Oh, great. Okay. With two bedrooms and two bathrooms and two, just a modest two living spaces, plus a 1,600 square foot pool house made up of two bedrooms and two and a half bathrooms and a satellite kitchen, game room and outdoor living area. So my apartment. (laughs) (laughs) This is what we're playing with. It was massive, but it didn't feel overwhelming. And something that I found quite interesting in understanding a little bit more about Ellen Hamilton and Dana Architects was Ellen Hamilton, when you look at her projects on her website, referenced this project really well. Mm. This is definitely her bread and butter of design. She does it and she does it well. And so a lot of her clients, I think, are directed more towards that maximalist look and feel. Yes. Platt Dana Architects, on the other hand, have nothing remotely similar to this, at least on their site for what I could find. They... A lot of what I could see there was more on the minimalist side. So I'd be very curious to chat with them about how they felt. I guess they're kind of producing the technical side of it, Mm. but still it was kind of pushing the envelope from what they were used to. You wonder how this partnership came about. Because generally speaking, you know, like-minded designers and architects will meld together because they can produce like-minded outcomes it's a beautiful meld of it just reminds me of palm springs it's got soft pinks like the Mm -hmm. whole house is a soft pink beautiful palm trees the whole house is filled with artwork well yeah i mean that was the brief that the client brought forward was that every room was to surround their art collection Mm -hmm. and i would say that in whether it's the photographer Mm -hmm. or the designer because we're only getting a limited amount of photos yeah every you say limited there's still 26 26. photos for a house that big yeah that's true that's one room we didn't actually see it all but every image where you could see that the art had been so carefully curated for that room the design although maximalist in its interiors colors furnishing Mm. didn't take away from the art you're so right it still is the focal point of every room i loved this space like i could see families living there I could see me living there I mean give me a few extra million and maybe it could be me (laughs) but no time soon (laughs) 
I think what I loved about it so much was there was a space for everything. And I understand that when you have a home that big, you have the luxury of creating a space for Mm. everything. But each room felt so intentional. So there were obviously multiple living rooms. Mm. And each living room created a theme that would almost facilitate a completely different conversation. And so there was the upstairs living room, which was these kind of dusty pinks and a little bit more like tonal, like beige tonal. Mm. So I was like, great, that's your nice kind of morning tea it's, yeah it fosters that environment of, oh my goodness guess, and they would have morning tea yes they? <laughs> they would that kind of calm but then there were also these really eclectic vibrant living rooms where you mm. go all right well that's exactly where I would order my martini and so yes they facilitated a different atmosphere in each space which I think was really well executed I totally agree with that we cannot go past The mural by the pool. Oh, yes. So this was a mural produced by Michelle Grabner and it is exceptional. So to give you a little bit of an indicator, it goes along the spans of an entire back um, wall. I actually couldn't find the length of that wall, but I'm going to guess it ran along the kind of eight, nine meter mark. Was Very impressive. Yeah, the entire thing was this mural and it was almost patchwork is the way I would describe it. And it framed the space so well and drew drew your attention without being overwhelming and the landscaping they did around it complemented it so well and I was just in awe. I absolutely loved it. Without it, that space would have felt quite bland. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and so the owners commissioned Michelle to do this and just gave her creative freedom to create whatever it is that came to mind Mm. that she thought would fit within the space. And my goodness, I think she's really nailed it. The other thing that I found really interesting and bothered me as an interior designer because I couldn't get to the bottom of it. Okay. Was the main bathroom's floor tiling. Yes. To me, it looked like every piece had been hand cut from a specific marble and laid down, almost like a custom pattern Mm. that you couldn't get anywhere else. It was so unique and so textural. Mm. You could see kind of as you zoomed in on the image that it wasn't fully level, which Mm. made me feel like, okay, these might be hand cut pieces Mm. it was a very intense pattern and intense coloring but it was luxe and it was not overwhelming and again it felt like art it did and somehow it complemented the other patterns that were going on in the room because there were pattern wallpaper some of the vanity units had patterned um, paneling on Mm. them one point I wanted to make that I really found hilarious within the 26 photos that they've showcased of this stunning property, they put little descriptors down the bottom <laughs> and on so many of them they said, a sitting area, yes, a study, a sitting area. They didn't have any other descriptor no. other than here's another one. And this is another one. We'll give you another one now. I, <laughs> I loved how that was some great. of them were like upstairs living room, yeah. downstairs living room living room and I was like well, where's that room. living room another living room <laughs> it was so great so if you've got the time check it out we'll link it in the show notes Vogue living article well worth a look all right our last design pulse topic is architectural digests article called 13 of the most beautiful villages you've probably never heard of The reason we have brought this article forth is because everyone is in Europe right now on my Instagram feed. Living their best Euro summer. Living their best lives. And Claire and I, we're not stuck here. We're very happy here. Yeah. But Claire and I, Claire and I are stoked to be here. But there's 
There's still a little bit of envy in there. <laughs> so we thought, why not unpack some of the most beautiful villages you've probably never heard of? Yeah, which I had definitely never heard of these. No. I cannot go past the first one, Lake Orta, which mm. is in Italy, an hour's drive away from Milan, and it is very close to Lake Como and so much of then the articles that I was reading thereafter is all saying that this is the hidden gem. If you have ever intended to go to Lake Como, ditch Lake Como for its busyness and go to Lake Orta instead. And one article I read, I just could not go past the descriptor that they gave, that they said like a romanticised, almost cliché film set. Do you know what it reminded me of? What? And I'm going to, I feel like this is just not going to give it justice. It was like Tangled. The yeah. movie Tangled. Okay, I haven't seen it. Oh, it's on my Disney list. <laughs> yes, it was beautiful as well as kind of Beauty and the Beast vibes, yes, all of them, too, yeah. which I really loved. Yeah. It was really cool to see. I think my biggest takeaway from this article was mm. these are very, very small villages. Yeah, tiny whiny. Yet Every kind of descriptor underneath the village explained that it had really great impact on architecture. Yeah. What we're seeing now. And it was really, I guess, refreshing to see that these kind of small spaces that you wouldn't really hear of and you didn't, I guess, you don't visit, they're not on your bucket Mm. list, have actually had a really great impact on the biggest cities that are on our bucket lists to see. Yes. And I really appreciated that. Now we've got left our past, present, future, which this week we are looking at the industrial design style. There is such an audience for industrial Mm. design. There are, it's one of those things that you either love it or hate it. You Mm. don't really kind of sit in the middle. Yeah. But there is a really large audience for it. And if you don't know what we're talking about when we say industrial design, I'm going to let you know what Vai Tarong and Han Dang say industrial design is they say picture it as the grunge baby between modern and farmhouse aesthetics which i think is perfect it is really great isn't it Who doesn't want that grunge baby yeah <laughs> grunge baby um it's inspired by renovated factories and manufacturing plants think of exposed elements like exposed bricks beams Pipes. plumbing yeah all that sort of thing so we've seen them in converted warehouses so that's really the look and style Mm. that we're talking about when we discuss the industrial interior style. What I find quite interesting is a lot of feedback given to I guess clients that talk about industrial design they often say that it is cold and Mm. uninviting which is not what I would term with industrial design I do think that's accurate if it isn't done well, but I tend to find that it's actually quite warm and I think about kind of the fire and the exposed brick and the exposed beams as those textural elements that you don't get a lot and Mm. that encourages warmth. Yeah. So it is very interesting, I guess, the controversial difference between how people approach industrial design. Which it does have cooler colours. It is generally made up of a lot of greys and whites and blacks it does dip into that cooler tone but yeah I agree that the elements because of their ruggedness can give that Mm. warmth so when we dive into where industrial design style has come from 
it's really started in the 1760s when we're at the height of the Industrial Revolution and this is where there's a need for factories, there's a need for these big warehouse spaces. So they're being created, they're being built, not necessarily for us to live in like we're essentially discussing today we're essentially discussing how uh residentially we enjoy the industrial design but these spaces were created as factory spaces they were created so that mass production could go on within the four walls of these spaces so they're big they're expansive they've got generally a few levels even like a mezzanine level big windows big open spaces and everything exposed which I couldn't really understand the timing of it because we're talking about the Industrial Revolution in the 1760s, which I would assume there's not really any plumbing, there's no electricity. So I was then kind of like, well, what's exposed? Is Mm. it just beams and stuff that are exposed? (laughs) The brick that was probably never going to be covered up anyway. Yeah, exactly. What were they going to put on it? So that's where it started. And then we've got the second Industrial Revolution, which is in the 1870s. And then the second Industrial Revolution, this is where we see more of those elements that we know today. So um, Edison first invented the light bulb in the same decade. And by 1879, all of these factories Mm. had lights, had electricity, and were embracing that to aid the uh, second Industrial Revolution. Part of what I find so interesting about that is I found this article that had all architects' different um, tips to creating the perfect industrial home Mm. and lighting was at the core of it. And I just found that so unique that when it really came about, when the light bulb was being made, has now centred how you approach industrial design, just as a little tid-tat. Where we see it becoming more about what we want to talk about today, Mm. which is residentially, is more in America, specifically New York in the 90s. That's when we really started converting those big warehouses and factories into residential living. Mm. What I really appreciate about this is it really started I'm not sure if movement is the right term, but it really started thinking through repurposing. Yes. There was obviously great need for housing. Mm. And instead of knocking down and rebuilding, they have repurposed a space. And now whether that was due to time constraints, budget constraints, I'm not sure. Mm. But I really appreciated that we kept an existing structure and um, conserved, conserved? conserved those materials and that has obviously had a flow-on effect to how we think about design today and that's something that I found really interesting about its I guess residential birth. (laughs) Yeah and I didn't realise I think because these spaces the shells the factories that we're talking about are so old and steeped in such great history I didn't realise that the conversion of these only happened in the 90s and 2000s I didn't realise that it was actually so soon that we're talking about Mm. so when I looked into the history of this I was looking for ages because I was like well I'm missing something yeah it can't be in the 2000s and late 90s I'm like what is going on but sure enough yeah that's when it all actually happened where we're starting to convert these factories because we're no longer requiring such huge spaces mm. such huge spaces and big footprints mm. for mass production but whereas housing on the other hand is in high demand so the conversion I mean it makes so much sense it's such a great sustainable way and that is of course the way of the future so it's great that we can still be using these spaces that have such a great story to tell 
Definitely. I think you can't miss the character that these spaces have. You're kind of instantly buying a place with a story behind it. And I know that I personally really resonate with that. Instantly, this style conjures up for me the intern. I love that you brought this up because this was on my notes to bring up. So good. And I have a feeling you're going to say the same things. I just want to hear it. Okay, great. So essentially, I mean, I didn't even look up all their names, but... The old guy. (laughs) Yeah, shit. And Anne Hathaway. (laughs) Yeah, so Anne Hathaway has a new online clothing label. The offices are housed in an old warehouse which has been reconverted they recruit the intern which is an old oh there we go thank you so much which is an old widow an old widow ben and he comes in and he gets the intern ship i guess Yeah, yeah he gets to be their intern and it is in the old factory that used to be a yellow pages factory where he worked and that underlining story is so beautiful and really gives you an insight into the history and the depth of these sorts of buildings and the fact that repurposing them just gives them a new lease on life along with the new people who are residing in those spaces. The scene specifically was so good because they hadn't revealed this to you until kind of later on in and it was when she was kind of talking about how there was something about this space that made her feel at home and there was character to it and she pointed out some little kink and he said oh yes that's from this and you can kind of see the dots pointing together Mm. and again we've kind of said that you can't get those stories from other homes that you can with industrial design yeah new builds they just don't have that history right now when we're kind of diving into the present Mm. my take on it shifted quite a bit at Mm -hmm. first I thought I would have so much to say about uh, conversions of warehouses and it's really not that prevalent anymore where we're the kind of warehouse conversion happened about 10 years ago Mm -hmm. and so now it's just a changeover in property over and over again we're not really seeing it introduced as a new style in our homes I think that we're constantly taking nods from it Mm. and what I mean by that is things like black kitchens Mm. now that's not as prevalent right now but it was very prevalent three or four years ago Mm. it was a very very on trend those kinds of matte black kitchens you were seeing throughout which pulls from that industrial look and feel Mm. things like steel framed windows you don't need to have an industrial looking home to introduce that and I find that every man and their dog wants it you Mm. can have a beautiful victorian terrace and almost expect that there is going to be these beautiful steel framed doors at the back Um, and even coming down to exposed beams again Mm. somebody who's not pushing for that overall industrial look is definitely still kind of craving that exposed beam look because there is something quite luxurious and special about Mm, it that people are really craving yeah it's like those raw historic elements and I can't help but think this industrial style is very well represented in hospitality particularly when you think of bathrooms and the exposed pipes that have been placed on the walls rather than them drilling into the existing brick or existing walls but they're done in such beautiful ways. So Mm. hospitality, I would say hospitality, there's a need for it because often they potentially are reconverting spaces spaces into new hospitality spaces. But that is where you see it quite 
prevalent over and over again. Like they keep reinventing and keep introducing those industrial elements. Whereas in homes, unless it is a true warehouse conversion, as you say, there's these elements we're taking, Mm -hmm. but I think it's unusual for us to see a brand new build that has taken this whole industrial style. If you are looking to embrace the industrial style, a project I'd highly recommend you look at is called Charcoal Factory by Michael Michael DePiro. Now, this is a home that they have done um, partly new build, partly mm-hmm. um, renovation too. It's really – it has taken on that industrial look and feel at the core of its mm. design. Now, he's done some really unique things. One of the bold elements he's done is he's created the vanity out of steel mm. – But for me, it didn't sit quite right because it looked like a commercial kitchen. Yeah, okay. So I think if that's a look and feel that you're going for, something that I appreciate is laminates, minerals and metallic range. Mm -hmm. And we are seeing that range become quite prevalent in kitchens and bathrooms. Mm. If you do want that aluminium or that steel look and feel using that range and its trimmings or covering your exhaust or an area of feature cabinetry is a great way of introducing that industrial look without having it look commercial. I think Mm. that's the the line we kind of toe. One great example of a converted warehouse is in Port Melbourne. I'm sure you know it on Rouse Street, Mm -hmm. which is an old biscuit factory. And I think I love it even more because it's an old biscuit factory, (laughs) like any other factory shop, but a biscuit factory. It smells like biscuits. (laughs) It actually doesn't. But anyway, I have been there and every apartment is very different, Mm. very unique. I don't know how because I would have thought that do them all at the same time like one developer would have had the whole thing but everyone has been very different like the layout's very different some have those um you know those steel spiral staircases others don't others don't just very different very unique but a very cool building If anything, in the future, I do think we're going to take on nods of it, continually take on nods of it. Um, I think because we're not producing warehouses in the same look and feel, same Mm. build, I do think that that repurposing of a warehouse has seen its time because I don't think we're creating warehouses now that that do cater to potentially converting yeah, they're, they're just not made like that no, anymore. No, they're big sheets of tin. It's yeah. a very different. So I think that that part has probably seen its time and it's in history. Yeah, there'd still be ones out there though. I can't help but think they would be very well sought after if they came on the if market. If they came on the market, yes. But equally, if they don't have a heritage overlay, they will just get knocked down, yeah. which is so devastating. So that is it for industrial design. So if you have a style that you really want to hear unpacked, past, present, future, send us a message on any of the platforms that we are on at the moment. Instagram is definitely the best way to get in touch with us because we would love to unpack whatever it is that you are inspired by and looking to learn more about. Thank you so much for joining us again. But until next week, we'll see you then. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Interior Couture. If you enjoyed this episode and want to know more, come connect with us on Instagram at interiorcouture.podcast. 
We're an independent podcast and we really appreciate your time and support. A follow on the platform that you're listening to this episode on would be amazing. If you're feeling extra generous, leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts and takeaways.